absolute blast. Uh, what was funny is that her cousin, a lifelong Houstonian, it was his first plane trip ever. And uh, he's talking about he wants to be out here in nine degree weather. I'm like, OK, wait till it actually touch you. You know, so <laughs> you know, when you're when you're touristy, right, you can come in, get you a little bit of this cold and get back to the warmth. Man, when it's nine, 10, 11, day after day after day, whoo, that's something else. But yeah. uh, I ate too much, by the way. Uh, yep. I, I'm embarrassed that I ate. So we got like four pies. I ate two of them by myself. <laughs> family size. So I, I'm working furiously to pay myself back for that. Uh, but absolutely <laughs> yeah. had a blast uh, with family and just really thankful. How about yourself? Good for you, man. It was great. Low key had my littlest, which was awesome. Uh, we went to my aunt's house along with most of, of that side of the family. So we had about 50 people there probably. Uh, yep. and just a, just a real good time. Um, she's got a, she's got a golden retriever. She breeds golden retrievers too. So my yep. daughter was in heaven playing with the dogs. So that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Yeah. That's all you can ask for these days is really to be able to take a step back and see these small smiles that remind you life used to be something more than just making money and all the other things we have to do as parents. That's right. Absolutely, man. So um, Chamber Capital Ventures, five years in the running. Um, and what have been some of your favorite moments? Ooh, okay. So let's let's start at the beginning. Was actually finding my market fit. I think that was one of the most exciting uh, things. So I started 16 years after being in corporate America, client solutions, business development, product marketing, and product management gave me the four years that I was like, I can go out and do this. What I recognized mm -hmm. was that the 13th to 15th hire in a startup is typically your first product person, typically your product manager. They typically need to be your third person because they help frame the market and deliver certain principles and technology companies. So my favorite was that I got my first brand. I branded it Product Exec, short for Product Executive. And I went on to the market offering startup founders being basically their first product leader, instilling product yeah. principles, whether it was pragmatic or the optimal product process into the business. And it had a lot of uplift. I used Angel List to find my particular, uh, you know, so they had to be hiring for the need, which helps me shorten the curve and sales side. So it was finding that first niche and uh, it took off a bit. It, it really did. Uh, I was very, very excited with the way the market perceived the value of a product person saying, hey, I need to be third or fourth in line, not 15th. Nice. And what puts that that product leader in the, the 13th to 15th position? Well, because typically what you all right, welcome in to Vision Pros Live with Jackson Callum. I'm your show host. We will be doing interviews for visionary entrepreneurs and guest leaders who are building fantastic visions out there. Hey, welcome to Vision Pros Live. I'm your show host, Jackson Callum, founder and CEO of First Class Business. I'm excited to have Chris Chambers, Chris Chambers on stage today. Let me say it for a third time so you don't miss it. Chris Chambers on the show today. We're going to be talking about venture capital, private equity principles. This is pretty cool considering we also had Sam Rain on today talking about government contracts with the Department of Defense. So it is a funding and finance day, which is Probably one of the areas that most visionaries struggle with is knowing how to access funding, how to talk about it, how to do the right hires, how to invest. All those aspects can be overwhelming and scary for, for the entry level entrepreneurs. My hope is that those of you who are at that, who are a little bit further along in the process and, and you know, your, your limited mindset is, has been opened. 
to understanding what your opportunities are, that, that you're listening in to what's going to be thrown down today because Chris and I are going to go at it. We're going to be talking about equity and capital and, and how to raise and when to hire. And and he is super high IQ. Um, I recommended the book, The E-Myth, to him. And within like 20, I don't know if it was 24 hours or 48 hours, it's pretty close. The man dissected the book in a post on LinkedIn, gave me credit a little bit for, for pointing it his way, but I cannot take credit for him diving in that diligently and really hitting that book hard. It was one of the coolest things to see. Um, so we're, we're going to be in great hands today. Before we bring Chris on stage, I want to talk about the sponsors, of course, because these are tools that one is a tool that I rely on. And one is a tool that I would have definitely been interested in when I started my venture. So cold click, cold click is what we use for LinkedIn automation. LinkedIn automation is how we get in front of such amazing executives like Chris. That's in fact, that's how we met um, was through that experience of, of our outreach on LinkedIn and helping him understand that we had a show that he could come on and share his vision through right now. Part of the, the success that you have when you're using automation comes from how attractive is your message? Does your message align with the needs of those that you're serving? Or are you trying to force case studies down people's throats? Or are you trying to use cheesy lines like my least favorite of all time? Hey, it looks like we have some mutual friends. Do you want to connect? That is the most unethical, commonly used line I've seen on LinkedIn because you don't know if you have mutual friends or not. They're just robots connecting to each other in most cases. So stop using it. That's my hand. Just stop. Just stop. Find something of value to place in front of people, even if it's asking them their opinion about leadership, which was also one of our successful messages we used in the past. Um, anyway, I digress. Optimize, optimize, optimize is the key when it comes to your messaging. Listen to what your audience wants and needs. Now, moving on to Simply Fast websites. If I were at the stage where I needed to launch a brand new website, um, from scratch and and needed some help. Well, I would I would probably hire Shane because at 179 bucks for starting a website. And granted, I've got years of experience interviewing web developers and web designers and understanding UX and UI and all the ins and outs. I do have a little bit of an advantage there for what I would be looking for. But if you have a business to run, you don't need to be tinkering with your website all day long. In fact, the less you tinker with it, the better. Get your concepts written out. Get in the hands of somebody like that. Um, I don't know. Maybe ChatGPT is designing websites these days and you can just drop it in there. But the point is, don't spend a ton of time and a ton of money on that before getting out there productively, promoting your services and, and really understanding what it is that you're putting out of the world because your website is going to go through a series of iterations. It's important to start with a small investment um, with as clear of a vision as possible and hit the ground running and know that you are the microphone for your brand while your website and brand while your website and brand are still getting established. Then there's the water project. The water project uh, is something that is near and dear to my heart. Um, you know, in fact, I don't really know why it's so near and dear to my heart. All I know is I've never had to go a day without a glass of water. And I've never, ever had to worry about where my children are going to get water from or where I'm going to get water. I just get to take it for granted. And I think that might be just what what impacts me as, as kind of an empath and a healer in nature. It just, it disturbs me. There are millions of people who do not have access to clean drinking water and the way that it, it disrupts their lives, um, that they have to go and look for it. And, and they, they don't know if the source they're getting water from is going to save their family or kill their family. Like that's, that's extreme. And I know that's kind of heavy, 
but there's a lot of heavy things in this world. There's 8 billion people who need help. If you've got another cause that you want to see supported, please drop it in the comments. It doesn't hurt to give other people the opportunity to give back. With the water project, I love that I get to see where my contribution is going. I get to see the outcome as well occur for the people who, who need it. And uh, like I said, I just, I just can't imagine myself what it would be like to not have access to clean drinking water. So, uh, you know, it's, we just passed through Thanksgiving. So in efforts of, of gratitude, let's extend that gratitude with our actions um, and, and find a cause that we can either share to support or give back to support. Uh, you, you know you and where you're at in life. So I'm just here to try to motivate that a little bit. Anyway, without further ado, let's bring Chris Chambers on board. Um, Chris, welcome to Vision Pros Live, man. I'm happy to have you here. Great to be on the show, brother. Venture architect. What does that mean to you? Let's start there. Absolutely. So the best way to do it is to describe it in flow. So a founder will typically come to me with an idea that they've either gotten some traction on or they believe they have traction on. My responsibility from that point is to architect the venture. And that could be anything from creating a resource model, developing business plans, helping them understand what their competitive advantage is. So really think of it in terms of business or venture could be interchangeable. But what I specialize in and have specialized in my career is being able to spin up teams or spin up concepts fairly quickly and then put the framing, the operation framing behind them. Ah, oh, man. Awesome. So spin out teams, put them together. If I'm oversimplifying the process now, you mentioned something that you're really excited about, too, regarding regarding AI and maybe ChatGPT. You might not have mentioned that name. Um, I'm not sure. Can you can you dive into that, man? You were so excited. Absolutely. Absolutely. I could not believe the extraordinary luck we have as a human race, especially here in America. You know, in the eastern countries, they're a little bit different about AI. But for us, it's it's a chat GPT. And ChatGPT has given the AI community a bridge that we did not have previously. If you think about it in terms of consumerization, right? There's a reason the iPhone is now a corporate approved device. I've been working in technology for 17 years. It used to be BlackBerry. The consumer pushed iPhone into the pockets of businesses. And what OpenAI is doing and, and their, their turmoil allowed for us to do is we now have a champion. We have our version of iPhone into the business market. It's open AI. Uh, whether you're choosing to build on the open AI platform or not, what that what it does and what it has created is the ability to proof out concepts using AI and then rapidly scale and integrate them. You can use the open AI platform or you can have a custom AI environment built. But I mean, just thinking about open AI as being the Microsoft of AI. Now, you know, coincidentally, they're par partnered with Microsoft, but we need somebody to be the standard. We all learned how to use computers by windows. And that's what we right. need from an AI perspective. We need something simple, clean that businesses can get behind. And that's why I'm excited about open AI. I'm excited. I'm excited about it too. And I'm glad that you, you put in that, that frame of mind. Um, in fact, I'll, I'll share my screen a little bit. Um, and, and you're going to have to tell me if you see this, um, Chris, but this, uh, this folder right here, where you can see us right now. Do you see this folder mm -hmm. on your screen? Yep. I recognize the illustrations. That's Dolly. <laughs> so my kids have been, uh, they wrote their manuscripts for their books. And yes, we use Dolly um, in order to start creating the, the imagery. And my son and I were playing around with it for his book about Bigfoot. Let's see, not those plans. Here we go. I'll pull this up. And within within a matter of like 30 seconds, um, you know, we've, we've asked, OK, Google or oh, OK, Google. So used to that. Um, now it's going to start talking to me, darn it. Um, but we asked uh, Dolly to go ahead and give us a 
give us an image of that's mm-hmm. designed for nine to nine to eighteen year old kids of Fox skateboarding with his dog friend and with Bigfoot at the X Games. And beautiful. Next thing you know, we got these images coming out that really brought his book concept to life and allowed us to to get a frame of reference for what we want from artists. Now there was limitations, like you know, that that and this is for a book about a little girl who made a wish on a dandelion. And we're like, well, we mm-hmm. don't want a movie. Um, like this looks realistic. And so then we start going back towards like, uh, make it look a little bit more like Disney. Um, yes. yes. Golly, like it was, it was insane. The, the concepts and there's, there's so many inconsistencies. Like this one ends up bringing forward a little boy instead of two little girls. Um, you know, at least that's what we, we thought <laughs> the child looked like. Um, so anyway, it's, it, it's blown my mind. What, what it's capable of doing. Um, and that's, that's just for children's books. What are some of the uh, real world applications that you're excited about? Well, we don't even have to change it. You just built a design studio. Now, if, if the human condition is that humans need to be 100% responsible for generating every piece of content, then we would still be stuck pre Henry Ford in the production line. Well and said. so what you just showed is that if you are an illish, if you're a book writer, you're creative content, uh, but you're not necessarily a designer and you don't necessarily have the capital to hire a designer or the aptitude to understand if the designer is really good. Now, design is a little bit different. You can see it visually and, and determine quality. But where this goes is, is that now you've got two pieces to the puzzle. Now you just need a publisher and you need a marketing And of course, AI can do that as well. What I have always preached with AI is that it's a multiplier, not a subtractor. I think if if anything, what ChatGPT has done to the business community is that I've seen too many the layoffs. Why would you lay a human off if you could train an AI model to cover, let's say, 4x their productivity? What they're limited by is their mental stamina, their desire to engage in the task. But if you were to train an open AI model, and I'm just using open AI, just for example, we could use Claude, we could use, uh, you know, your Meta's Llama, but I'm going with, with open AI right now. And, and really take that person and say, hey, there are your tasks that you need to be focused on that execute in the short term. We're going to train this AI model to support you in the long term. And so every time there's a long term insight derived, every time there's a long term decision to be made, that human now has four X the capabilities. Think of it as having a a department in your pocket. That's the thing that I believe AI is going to revolutionize business the minute we get away from subtraction and we start thinking in multiplication. We do it ourselves. We have the same strategy. We use it in biological intelligence. So biological intelligence, you and I on on this uh, podcast right now, we're exchanging biological intelligence. Mm. Everybody loves about chat GPT is it's linguistic intelligence. Just take linguistic and biological out of its intelligence. Right. What you do in business, the thing that you thrive on is intellectual property, intellectual capital and human resources. That's just the way business is structured until it will not be. And so as a result, intellectual property and intellectual capital can be developed in concert with your human resources using AI. And I'll stop using open AI for those of you who are like, I hate JGBT, we'll just go artificial intelligence. We can say IBM Watson. I mean, there are lots and lots of technological. Well, you you brought up a great point, though. Um, That's that the general consumer is going to go after the general consumer good. Um, you know, and that's that's ChatGPT. Um, you know, and so that's fine if you know if you learned how to how to use a computer on a Mac, 
there, you know, and you want to fight. Well, it's just your nature of wanting to fight, you know, but yeah. you use what you want to. Um, we're just going to speak for those who are kind of getting into the game. And, yes. you know, I'm glad you threw out some of the other references. We'll try to remember to include these resource links in your episode. That way people can access the different platforms that they have and we can democratize, you know, democratize, if you will, the, yes. the, the options that exist. So um, I love that you did that. Let's um, I wanted to bring up another another point uh, with with some of the limitations I'm seeing right now. It sounds like you may have some capacity and not only some capacity, but you have the drive to influence what's going on. So here's some of the challenges that we ran into with the chat GPT. Uh, Dolly process of, of creating those images. Let me pull them back up. So okay. we were able to get the the program to tell us enough about, uh, like to understand the story itself and the concept mm -hmm. of the story and to tell us the images that it thought would be best. And we're like, yeah, like we, we agree. Like we knew that those are the exact images that we wanted, but we could not get it to stay consistent with the, the art concept. It was, mm -hmm. it was changed. You can see the dramatic difference in both the style and we had to keep retelling it what things we wanted. And so it would get back to a kind of consistency, but it would also forget the character that it was creating. It does not have the capacity at this time to maintain the, the character. And then when you close your session, it mm -hmm. forgets everything altogether and you kind of have to start over. But if you upload the particular image, um, mm -hmm. then it says we can't use that image because that image, you know, may have uh, intellectual property or copyright issues. Um, mm -hmm. so I was like, golly, well, we're, we're kind of limited in these. Anyway, I'm just going to show some of these interest. Like, look at this button on Santa's. I love it. Like, what the heck? And so, it's so I've got it. I've got it. So it, it, are you using, are you using Dolly exclusively or are you using chat GPT in concert with Dolly? I think in concert, I think. Okay, so That's, the thing there's, that there's I would say, in me coming out. That, well, the, let's just use it in terms of how AI works with AI. So there's got uh -huh. to be, let's say this is your draftsman, right? So they're coming up with the drafts. I mean, of course, Santa, I don't know what Santa must be lactose intolerant right there. <laughs> <laughs> First lactose intolerant Santa. Hey, it comes with age, I guess. <laughs> but what, what this would allow for you to do is now you're on the investigation for how do I take a conceptual art that has the right set of characteristics, the right theme and the right style. And how do I find an AI that can create a storyboard out of that concept? Because what the limitations are is that I can understand is there's a forgetfulness in transition, but there are going to be other AI platforms that are going to be specific around design that can take that and storyboard it. I'm sure if you just Google uh, AI storyboarding, and see if there are, those are the ways that you would do uh, at that particular thing, or you could do the great thing. Here's the great thing. Every single one of the AI applications right now where there's a front end is driven off of prompt engineering, right? So the limit with Dolly, and I'm not sure if they've made an update is 400 characters. It's hard to get 400 characters and get the preciseness mm -hmm. of every single design. But maybe it's the first set of concepts that you get as a business, then you turn it over to an actual designer because then you can guarantee consistency. Right. Exactly. And so there. So so what this is, is now now what we're talking about and we can do this ubiquitously across markets, especially high tech. What you're talking about is developing a proof of concept. So mm -hmm. what OpenAI has allowed you to do, because you're building a children's book factory, whether you are aware of it or not. And it's really cool to hear you yep. going down this path is, is that if you guys can get to a, a point where you have a proof of concept, 
then the, a human designer can intercede and take that proof of concept that and begin That's the storyboard. Right. And so from there, the elements, you don't have to communicate them. So the thing that would be hard for you and or for hard for I, excuse me, not for you, for I, is that I would never be able to, ex to explain in design detail exactly what I expect to happen. I just expect it a certain way. A human can take that picture and expand it into a set of stories in a way AI needs me to diminish every single prompt has to have. Remember, you know, it's a stylistic modern. Uh, you know, there's a certain gradient. You have to have too many details if you're looking for consistency. So there, that's where I would say it's proof of concept. Get that into the final design phase, the human element, and then everybody eats. If I want to break it back right. to what AI is allowing you to do is we'll look at the designers that are impacted. Now designers have work. Where That's everybody right. is like, wow, AI is taking design vague. No, it's not. We are in an idea economy. We have to shift Correct. away from labor. And that's really the biggest opportunity. And I'll get off my soapbox for the follow up, <laughs> but I would implore people to stop thinking in labor and start thinking in ideas. I will give you real world business. Open AI on track last year, minus $540 million. Loss. Loss. Two hundred million sales, ten billion dollar investment for Microsoft because the idea is that powerful. Absolutely. If we get to the ideas concept, not only will capital markets open up, but then the idea of people always having to follow one leader instead of being able to spin up bubbles of ideas, creating these pockets of commerce. No, if you think about you know the global economy, twenty one trillion dollars, it's immeasurable in terms of how many million that is, and because there's so many of those millions. Start at 10,000, then greet you another 100,000, then a million. Stay at a million and move to the other idea. But everything has to be built around teams and concepts of using AI in place of human resource constraints, training your existing human resource to multiply themselves. It's huge. Uh, we're, in, we're multiplying markets, in essence. Uh, the exponential yes. growth that's going to occur due to people's ability to compete um, with, a, with a much smaller budget is what's ultimately going to, I believe, drive the economy of designers. Design will shift, um, you know, yes. and the, the types of of things that you're doing will shift. But that's that's only going to be bad for people who tend to see the glass half empty. Um, mm -hmm. So that's mm -hmm. that's the difference between an abundance mindset and a scarcity mindset. Um, you know, and that's uh, you know, here here's I'll explain through my own experience. I fired my first three designers as a young business owner. I was so mad. Um, they, they did an awful job, right? Here I am pointing the finger um, you know, at all these individuals that all have fantastic reviews. And on the third occasion, well, on the fourth hiring experience, it dawned on me, I was like, wait a second. I've heard the saying, when I'm pointing my finger at somebody else, there's three pointing back at me. In yeah. this case, there's three pointing back at me three different times in a row. It's like, I got to yeah. accept some responsibility here, right? So I go look. And the first design concept that I requested I'm embarrassed to even look again at my project description. It was awful. I didn't even know what I meant. Um, when I went back mm -hmm. and read it, I was like, wow, no wonder why I did a bad job. Um, I gave horrible instructions. Two, I go back and look. My instructions were better, but they still didn't do a great job. Third one, my instructions were still, they were better, but I realized after a minute, I was like, wait a second. For And I'll get to how this ties to the 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 chat GPT and the ability to design mm -hmm. in just a second, but I had to first learn as a business owner how to appreciate people, how to stop treating people like a transaction at mm -hmm. Payless Shoes and realize that I was hiring an individual and I started to ask good questions about 
you know, what's your favorite holiday? Um, you know, what do you want to do outside of design for your career? And I wanted to become a bridge for that person. Well, that person came to bat for me, but I'll tell you what, I still had to be very patient with the design process in a way that was mm -hmm. uncomfortable. And I wasn't, I wasn't a bad business. I wasn't a mean guy, but I had certain expectations. And like you said, I could not communicate what mm -hmm. my anticipations were and what I was trying to get out of these projects because I did not have the training to work in a design department. That was not my mm -hmm. role. Insert chat GPT and what has happened on this occasion, right? Now that these concepts exist, I can take this design instead of going to a designer, having them conceptualize it on a budget. I don't have, I'm publishing books for my children. This is not right. a, a for-profit um, opportunity up front. Maybe in the back end we'll make some money, but this, yep. that's not the point. The point is the purpose of the project mm -hmm. itself. So what's happening now is any parent or any guide, even any child with the capacity to write can start creating, like you said, their own bookmaking factory yes. and now has the power to say, you know what? I don't want to spend $20 on Minecraft today. I want to spend $20 hiring an illustrator with these mm -hmm. chat GPT concepts that I've got. And now our relationship is going to be more holistic and I'm yes. going to be happier with the output that occurs because I just became an infinitely better communicator than I could have become in 20 years of trying to study design communication on my Absolutely. own. So it, it creates a massive influx of, of opportunity within the economy, in, in my humble opinion. Absolutely. So I, I love what, what you said. I love the insight uh, and, and the self-awareness. I have that same problem. And one of the things that I absolutely love about what you just said is that's what led me to found ProdExec, short for product executive. It was my first venture up under Chambers Capital Ventures. What I recognized that being a product manager was that I was in everybody's meeting room. We're talking about client configuration, sales solutions, uh, you know, pro pro providers, design, marketing. I'm in every room because I have to understand as a product manager, I'm basically the CEO of the product. I have to understand everything that's going on, customer support. Well, there are only but so many of those types of professionals and there are only but so many uh, uh, ways for every single person to understand every single bit of an organization. So what you want to do with an AI application is you want to do exactly what you're doing here, which is that AI can help you understand the intricacies of a particular function. So let's use venture architecture and talk about your children's book business so we can we can integrate this all together. So if you were to come to me and give me that exact scenario, well, the number one operation I would create for you is a, a conceptual design operation. See, because you're creating the linguistic text out of your own minds. But what I would want to make sure is there are sets of processes and there are sets of systems in place for outputs. Connect that to your illustrator so that there is now a consistent flow of output, illustration. Now there's feedback, which then creates the final draft of the book. Now you have an operation that's design operations that now with a set of processes integrated is one brick of the foundation of your publishing company. The next thing is whether or not you want to do it in, let's say, Amazon, or you want to use an independent book publishing, right? So you publish your PDF and you just eBooks, get it out there. Well, then perfect. What you need next is a marketing operation. 
okay, well, typically marketing operations can be manned by the founder. And what are the right technology tools to market, right? So then that becomes your marketing operation. So now I've braided together your design operation with your marketing operation. You notice you haven't hired anybody yet outside of your illustrator who helps on a finished project basis. Well, when it gets to the point where the book is actually starting to make some money, now you figure out who you need to run the marketing side of the business. That's the next step. So the plan is foundation, structure, system, person, foundation, structure, system, person. And in that in that model, what you find is you're now, you know, to use the e-myth. I love the fact that you gave me a little bit of credit for it. And I appreciate you doing that. You are taking it from technician to manager to entrepreneur. And you're consistently it's that same formula over and over and over. And then right. what you have once you have, you know, four or five, let's say in, in, a, in a book publishing business, it's going to be, you know, public relations, marketing operations, your design operations. And then, of course, you as the leader of the organization, your children being the CEOs, that's PR by themselves. That's the book business. That's the book business. Yeah, I love it. The energy that you bring to to a vision that quickly too is is just uh, what a blessing, what a gift, Chris. Appreciate uh, it. Let's Thank dive you. into some of the more pragmatic questions we we go into into the show. I don't know if I have time to get to them all, but maybe we can speed through them, or maybe we decide to slow down and just realize, you know what, what we get to, we get to. What's yep. your vision for those that you serve? I really want to build. Uh, so I have on my vision board, I want to create a million millionaires. And and that sounds audacious, cool. but it's, it's really I about did. the concept of a million. <laughs> I'm not talking about a million in cash. I'm talking about a million valuation. What it takes to get to a million dollar valuation of an asset, because what happens when you have a valuation, you have a sellable asset. Now, most people in America, most people around the world, the largest single asset you will ever own is a home. I'm not going to get into whether or not that's a good or bad investment. What I'm here to talk about is if you can't make a million dollars or be able to qualify for a million dollar home, you'll never see what a million dollars can do in your life. That's right. But if you can build a million dollar idea and turn it around and let's say sell it on the capital market because somebody believes they can put the infrastructure, the people in place to take that idea to the next level. Well, let's say you get you know 250,000 out of the sale after you profit everything. Well, now you've learned how to make million dollar concepts over and over. What mm -hmm. my vision is, is that people can bring ideas to the studio, the venture studio. They are built into a way that they can turn them around. Let the business builders that, you know, the people who want to the operator, excuse me, let me let me delineate the operators of society take over ideas. And, you know, it's just like the flavors of CEO. There's the visionary CEO and there's the operator, the person you bring into the business when you have to turn it around. The best example is when Warren Buffett had to be CEO of Solomon Brothers. They was they were in very, very bad shape. Their market was in turmoil. Warren Buffett, because of his genius and business and his and his personality, was able to turn the business around. And then he brought another CEO in. Mm -hmm. If we can help the society split themselves between the idea creators and the operators and we bring those together we will have deeper pools of commerce for all groups represented you know underrepresented non-represented everybody can be involved because operators typically tend to have a different mindset than creators 100%. you just have to marry the two well it's different phases um you know and we we all focus in phases of life the the best examples of that to me are the e-myth and then the book that built off the e-myth which is rocket fuel and 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 you know they talk more about the integrator operator um mm -hmm. but i digress back to 
the E-Myth. Um, and you already alluded to the concept. For those of you who have not read that book, it is a life-changing experience to read that book. And as part of it, he talks about the three different personalities that exist when all of us. We have an entrepreneur with us, we have a technician within us, and we have the manager within us. The entrepreneur lives in the future, um, you know, and mm -hmm. only looks at things in the future typically. The technician is in the present. They're the ones who handle the technical components of today's work. The manager manages the past, what's happened, mm -hmm. the reports and things like that. And we don't, we all have the capacity to, to hone in and channel those different portions of ourselves. But I, what I love about what you're talking about is the same thing that I know about my business, first class business. I'm not designed, nor do I want to run first class business once it's a hundred million dollar company. Um, even a $10 million company, I will probably not be the operator to any extent. The goal is to mm -hmm. replace me in that capacity so that I can continue to function as you talked about kind of chief, uh, ideologist, if you will, but not yep. even that I've got other projects and other things that I need to be creating outside the scope of first class business. So we will probably have ideologists within the company itself that are built more around the types of ideas that that said entity that first class business mm -hmm. needs to create that liberates me it doesn't steal my baby from me it allows me to move on and it allows the business to evolve much like your child does from child to teenager to responsible young adult and pursue what they need to pursue the business entity is you know when you look at it as your baby same thing the goal yep. is to get it out of the nest the faster you can do that responsibly the better i think Absolutely. Absolutely. I think what it what it what it boils down to is the mindset of really understanding what a CEO does. I think one of the things that really hurts us in society is we use titles ubiquitously and they do, don't right. denote the same thing. So when you think about uh, you know, just being in a business. We use them just because again. we're supposed to use them. Yes, yes. So we're like, I'm the original creator, creator of the idea. I might be the chief visionary officer. Hold on to that. That might be yours. I actually game theoried a couple of AI models and they came up with those uh, titles. Chief visionary officer might be your thing. Nice. And what, what I can see is that when you see a CEO, so if you're working in a company, a small business, let's say 200 employees, you see the CEO come in doing work. And depending on where you are in the organization, you are a technician and you see him working. So you see them as a technician. That's not even true. When that CEO walks into a room with their executive team, he is talking to or he or she, excuse me, uh, as the managers of the operation. Now, let me break down what the manager concept truly means. In the manager, I want you to think of McDonald's and I want you to think of Starbucks. And I want you to think of everywhere you've ever been where there's a McDonald's, everywhere where you've ever been, there's a Starbucks. When you find me one that is fundamentally different, I mean, the food tastes different, the coffee mm -hmm. tastes different, the experience is different, you let me know. That is the right. quintessential operation of a business is to have managers in place. So the way that we see entrepreneurship, we do not think in terms of having people who oversee systems that produce outcomes. What we see is there's work to be done. We see our former bosses working. We see nothing but work. The very top of the organization, the CEO, I'll use Jamie Dimon of J.P. Morgan Chase. The amount of business units, ma managers, factories that he oversees is the reason why the company is as successful as it is.
The scary thing for us as entrepreneurs is we don't really have an understanding of how to quickly build teams together. And that's one of my visions for the future is that somebody can come and I can create that McDonald's factory or we can create the McDonald's factory for their idea so that they don't have to think about, well, I've never built a, a customer support department before. I have no idea who I should hire, what systems I should put into place, what should be my philosophy of the department. Those are the types of things that always hold us back from being able to scale our idea past the original technician concept, which I've gotten trapped in several times in my venture career. Absolutely. Uh, and, and it's it's kind of a it can be a very painstaking process, too, for the visionary to have to go through uh, those those types of challenges. Um, I think it's sad how many people feel like they need to do that alone, um, yes. you know, or, or with a small team or with, you know, their their excited friend who wants to support them, but doesn't really have the qualifications to do so. It's like they can come along for the ride and they can they can participate in a lot of ways. But the moment you start uh, putting lab coats on people that aren't scientists, you know, or stethoscopes around people's yep. necks that aren't doctors um, is usually the moment your brand begins to fail tremendously. So speaking of, of failures, what has been your worst leadership experience ever, Chris? I, I will take full ownership of my failure. Uh, so as as I was venturing, uh, I got to the point a couple of years in uh, 2018, early 2020, I'm the chief strategy officer for several companies. Now I'm in the present. I'm absolutely loving everything I'm doing, recommending uh, direction. And I failed every single business that failed because I didn't see the pandemic coming. Now, it, it sounds funny to say that, but in the international market, the pandemic was disrupting businesses as early as October of 2019. There was something coming and I lost the ability to look forward because I got tracked looking downward. And for me as a leader, I took that. I mean, I took that exceptionally hard uh, because that was my that was my charter. And so from a leadership perspective, it ended up being a great teaching opportunity. So as soon as that they start cratering, I went back to business school. I went and enrolled immediately because I saw an opportunity to upgrade my understanding of my responsibilities mm -hmm. in business. So I would say the pandemic coming along and me not having enough education on the strategy side to bolster my teams. Right. So I'm serving as chief strategy officer for several companies and I'm expecting the teams to have a certain level of like, hey, this is the way we're going to navigate this incredibly tough situation. None of us had dealt with that before. And I should have been a better leader in terms of stepping up at the very top of the organization saying in crisis management, I'll be the one to steward the ship. Rather than do that, I focused on stewarding my ship, which was poor leadership. I come out the other side, but then I lose my startups who did not have as strong of a, of a team in place at the very beginning of the pandemic. Well said. There's a there's a lot of great lessons in there and the, the humility to own such a disaster and, and look at that from a self-awareness standpoint of <clears throat> what could I have done versus just you know, washing it over, um, you know, and saying, well, everybody would have had a bad experience here. Um, it, it takes a, a an important amount of character and virtue to do that. So appreciate that. The example, what's your best leadership experience look like? Okay. So my favorite leadership experience of all time was working for Don Smith at Black Knight Financial. So he was the chief technology officer and he needed a product manager. But the way he explained it to me, it was a lot of operations. And so I'm, you know, 2015, I'm a year and a half into product management, but I explained him the things that I was doing. And he was like, okay, come on in. We on a Saturday, shook hands. I'm in on a Monday. And he gave me everything I needed, which was to be left to figure the problems out. 
what I found out about leadership over my career. Now, that was the ending of my 16 year career. I had worked under some great rich fantasy at uh, Insight. I had worked under uh, the CEO, not directly up under these CEOs, but in the organizations of uh, Robert Half International. I'd been in CarMax, a lot of Fortune 500 companies. When I got to Black Knight, what I realized is that the best leaders are people who understand how to hire people who will own whatever it is you're asking them to do. And ownership looks completely different than work. Ownership is looking for opportunities to improve, creating plans, basically being a complete and total control of presenting the information to make the strategic decisions. And so I believe that Don Smith's leadership, who I believe is Tom Sanzone, who's the CEO of the parent company, had that same leadership, which is finding a capable person who will take complete ownership of the success and failure of the set of initiatives they're responsible for. And I think more leaders, if they could understand that if you hire the right type of ownership mindset, that's what people mean by owner, entrepreneurial mindset, they should say ownership mindset. Ownership sounds different, right? So when you say entrepreneur, right. it could be anything. If I say owner, think of team owner. Think of a football team owner, a basketball team owner. They have a completely different relationship to their organization. So if we stop using entrepreneurial mindset and use ownership mindset. You have some so insight we'll into that, though. You have some yep. unfair advantage insight into the ownership of, of sports teams. Uh, remind yes. me of your background. Uh, so so, so my uncle, my uncle, uh, when the Arizona Cardinals made it to the, the Super Bowl, my uncle was the general manager. Uh, prior to that, he was director of personnel for the, uh, the Chicago Bears. My grandfather was one of the first African-American directors of player personnel for the Philadelphia Eagles. So I have always wow. understood the way that business works from the ownership of a team standpoint. So what does that uh, look in, like? Break that down places. for us, because yeah. I don't think a lot of us understand or know what do the owners. I mean, I think a lot of people think they just sit around and own the team. Um, Absolutely. You know, I've yeah. also heard that, Mar that like people like Mark Cuban, he calls all of his season ticket holders every single year to thank them for being season ticket holders. And that's a lot of phone calls in addition to all the businesses he runs. So. What does Absolutely. it look like? What does an ownership so, actually so do? Let's let look at Mark Cuban. We'll use Mark Cuban. That's a perfect example. The very first thing Mark Cuban does is he splits his business between two halves. You're going to have the administration side of the business. Let's call it the business of basketball. And then the actual team operations. That's the coach, the players and that type of respect. So you're going to have a president of basketball operations. In this case, it would be if we're going to use the San Antonio Spurs, that's Greg Popovich. Typically, you have two different people there. And then you're going to have a, a coach of the team. Typically, what you then have is a set of operations below them. If we're going to use football for an example over basketball because it's complex, it resembles business more. Right. Okay, so when you hire a coach as an owner of the, uh, the Houston Texans, what do they have to hire next? They have to hire offense and defensive coordinators. Now that's two. Now, so you went from business administration, football, football operations. Now you're in offense and defensive coordinators. Now they have their respective set of coaches that they have to put into place. Quarterback coach, your wide receiver coach, your tight end coach, and your running back coach. That's the offense side. Defense is defensive line, defensive backs, linebackers, safeties. Okay, so now you have four coaches, two coordinators, one head coach. That's an entire operation. Now you fill in the players. And so what that does is, and then you look on the football operations side, you have a marketing department, you have a sales department, you have a technology department, no different than any other business. Right. What the liabilities of a does, stadium and hundreds of thousands of fans. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what Mark Cuban does as an owner is he leads the brand. See, those, those phone calls, that's a brand experience. Mark Cuban right. is a genius brand manager. One of the best I've ever seen in the history of branding. He understands when you told me that, has he ever called you? 
No, you know that story and told it to me. And what do I immediately think? Well, wow, that's cool. Now I want to look up Mark Cuban. Now I'm into what happens when you look up Mark Cuban. Do you immediately go Dallas Mavericks? No, Shark Tank. From there, it's Yahoo. From there, it's broadcast me. And then you see this incredible, incredible outline of a person who understands how to take a concept, hmm. find the people, get the people moving towards all. And getting them to own that process, um, right? To, to go that go full circle on that. That's awesome. Uh, thank you for the insight on that. And so if you only had one opportunity to share one more lesson, one powerful lesson with visionaries based on your experience, and this was it, what would it be? Focus on systems. Focus on owner on people who own systems. If you are not a great systems thinker, find one who is. Focus on systems before you focus on anything else, because the foundation of every single Fortune 500 company is business processes, workflows, systems. They are people are interchangeable, not that they're not valuable. Don't mistake that statement. What I'm saying is, is that over the hundred plus years that Lehman Brothers was in business before fail, they had had thousands of employees cycle through hundreds and thousands of positions. And so if you focus on the structure of the business, putting structure in place, you can find the right people to fit into these structures. So that would be something I want all visionaries to be thinking about, systems and structure. Absolutely. That's what provides the stability um, as well for people who care tremendously about security, stability, uh, making sure that you know they, they know what to expect day in and day out without systems, without workflows, without processes. That becomes a very... Um, a very challenging reality most people don't want to deal with. And that's, that's totally fine. In fact, I think that's, that's something that as an entrepreneur, I had to learn to appreciate and could only learn to appreciate by having children and growing up. Um, that's where I was like, oh, okay, security is a kind of a, a cool thing. Um, then it became, oh my gosh, security is like everything I live for now. Um, so it's, it's a, it's an aspect of maturity. All right. Um, so we've we're about out of time. Um, but before we wrap up, Chris, um, one one final thought on either chat GPT, private equity principles. In fact, no, let's go right to private equity principles. What are some of the principles you throw out there that these entrepreneurs should be looking to develop? Absolutely. So number one, look for existing operations that you can take over. So the thing that I would say that I want to close out with is AI. I want you to think of AI operations and think about how you can integrate AI into each of the systems of an existing business and maximize profitability. So on the private equity front, if you have a, a business that's running 25% margins, if infuse AI end to end for business intelligence and process optimization, you just stay in those two lanes across all of the different respects of that business, you can drive profitability without having to increase expendability expenses don't rise. And so I would say on the private equity market, AI operations is the principle. Love it. Now, if you're that type of person who's like, man, I wish I understood that. And I wish I could do that. What do you recommend people do? I mean, I think I they, should, they should be talking to somebody like you and, and, and or somebody like you said, hiring somebody. How do they go about that? Absolutely. So you're going to be looking for three types of people. You're going to be looking for an, art, an AI advisor, somebody who is a chief technologist or a chief data officer. You want people who have had experience turning technology concepts into 
operations, or you're going to want people who understand AI very well. You're going to want to people who understand data very well. I love the data side first, because then what that allows you to do is understand what assets you actually have inside of this business. And then you can begin to create from that particular business. So I'd say it's either a head of AI, a chief technology officer who has some AI or operations background, and then a chief data officer would be the three people I would reach out to and start building relationships. Awesome. Well said, man. And uh, another another tip on that front, visionaries, is to make sure that your recruiting process is attractive. That's a big part of making sure you're attracting top tier talent. And I see a lot of business mm -hmm. owners skipping that step, even if they have the budget to dedicate towards it. They don't realize that uh, great people want great processes. LeBron James didn't go to the Lakers on accident. You know, right. uh, Greg Popovich right. runs an amazing uh, market where they, the small ball market, and they had to put certain elements into place in order to become attractive to the players who have joined them as well. We, as you know, as the uh, coaches, as the championship dynasties we want to be, we've got to create cultures that people want to belong to. Otherwise, you know, you're either going to pay top dollar and have somebody who doesn't actually own their role. But if you create that type of a culture where they want to belong and where they know that their values are appreciated, now you got somebody who's coming in to play with that ownership mentality that Chris was talking about. So, Chris, Absolutely. thank you for uh, sharing all the wisdom that you did today. If you want to connect with uh, Chris Chambers, uh, well, I was successful connecting with him on LinkedIn. So we'll make sure to throw that link in there. He's got a website coming out, too, um, in the next couple of weeks. So we'll be putting that in the show notes once the landing page is, is available. Um, our landing page is available for the show. And uh, Vision Pros, if you, if you want to share your own vision. Don't hesitate to apply. There's an awesome opportunity. Go to visionproslive.com to share your vision. There's a there's a guest button to fill out your application and get on the show. Uh, Chris, thanks for being here today, man. This was awesome. Thank you so much. One final note, teach ownership principles to people who don't understand them. Share at the top. Don't always look at people as competition and you will see massive growth in everything that you do. Well said, my friend. Thank you for being here today. I'm really happy that you tuned in to Vision Pros Live. I'm looking forward to seeing your reactions as these episodes continue to move forward. This is going to get more and more fun. We'll have more and more engagement as well. We'll invite people to participate in the show. And thank you for giving us